Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. As we look at this series, as we look at God's will, what is God's will for me? We're going through all of these things. Uh, we've talked about God's will for your relationships. What is God's will for you? The one where we talk about salvation, having a relationship with him. Last week, we looked at what is God's will for my relationships, all the relationships we have, what is God's will for that? And so one thing you may notice, and you may have already noticed, but as we go through this, this is a little more of a topical series than an expository series. And I want to explain that difference to you. Typically, I like to preach expositorily, which means we go through the Bible and we look at what the Bible says and we work from there. I'll, I'll use other scriptures to support and to cross-reference, but we're looking at what God's Word says and we're trying to dive into that. And so this is a little bit more of a topical series where we look at an idea and we look for scripture that's going to talk about that. The point being, we're still going to look at what scripture says about it and try to be as faithful as we can be to that scripture. So we're looking at what is God's will for your time. And the reason that we're doing this, the reason we're looking at God's will for your time kind of coincides again, like last week was Mother's Day, God's will for your relationships. This week we had, we celebrated graduation Sunday. God's will for your time is more encompassing than just what you do with your time, but all of the things you do with your time, your work, your play, all of the things that make up your life, your priorities, all of those things. How do you live your life? What do you fill your time with? with. God has a great care about and, and quite a bit to say about our time. What are we filling our days with? And, and so this sermon and many of the sermons that follow talk about how we deal with what we've been given. No matter who you are or what you have, we all have the same 24 hours in every day that God has given us, that we have been stewarded with. We have been given the stewardship of how we use our time. So as we're looking at this idea, we're going to turn to one of the best passages on stewardship. Because this sermon and a lot of the other ones are how you steward, how you take care of what God has given you, what God has entrusted you with. And so let's look at Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So, he, so, he, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. See, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much." Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew, you, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not, I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and, to he, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go into the, to the Lord with prayer. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us, this time where we get to come and worship you and, and celebrate you and celebrate those who've graduated, Lord. And, and I pray that as we look at your word, as we look at what you say to us about what you've entrusted us with and how we should follow you, God, I pray that we would be faithful. That in all the things that we do, we would realize that you have given us, given us gifts and that we are called to care for them and steward them and to be people who glorify you with our lives. God, I pray that you would be with us today, that you would convict us in each of our lives individually what you're calling us to do, how you're calling us to live our life. I pray that you'll be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see very clearly in this passage, I know the first time I encountered this, 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 um, this verse, this passage, I thought that they were talking about the talents that you had. So if you were you know, good at, at um, building something, you were good at athletics, you had to use those talents and come up with more talents. I was, I was like an elementary schooler at this time. I was like, how do you get more talents just from having talents? I didn't understand. It's money. If you were confused about that, a talent is money, a, a pretty good amount of money. And he gives these talents to these servants. And what he's saying to them is that they should take them, invest them, and bring back more. And so what I want you to understand is that this verse, this passage that we're dealing with, doesn't deal directly with your time, but the principle is what's going to drive a lot of this sermon and sermons to come. It's stewardship. God has given us gifts. He has given us things that we are to care for and to produce results for Him. And so in this passage, these men are given talents, money, that they return through their good use or bad use of it. And so God has given us time, each of us 24 hours in a day, how many ever days and years we have in our life that we should use to glorify Him. And as we look at that, as we look into these ideas, I want us to remember that our time is a gift from God that should be used to glorify God. And so as we look at this, I want us to remember that first things first. We have to keep the first things first as we go through looking at what God's will for our time is. And you may have heard the saying, keeping the main thing, the main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing. So what is the main thing? For the believer, for the person who has a relationship with God, the first thing we should do, the, the highest priority in our, in our life should be serving God, having a relationship with you, with him. And I want to, rem I want to go through several scriptures to reinforce this to you. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
A little bit later in that, that passage where, Matthew, where Jesus is talking, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. And I, I don't know if you've ever done this. I remember, again, when I was younger, we went through in church and we had people write down our priorities. So what are your priorities in life? And it was church. And so most people, they made sure they put their top priority as God. And, and for the Christian, our relationship with God, God should be our highest priority. I hope you see in this that everything we're called to do is to look to God and his kingdom, not the things of this earth or our earthly concerns or even our selfish concerns. But when you look at the way people in the world interact with what their priorities are, only 16% of people in the U.S. listed God as one of their top priorities. And here's the more concerning part to me. Less than half of evangelical Christians would say that God is their highest priority. Almost half, 49%. And for most of the ones that didn't say that he was, he was their second priority. Now here's the deal. I would be more okay with someone thinking that God is such a, a clear priority that you don't even have to put him on the list because he's so clear that he's not listed there. But to put something before God is just blatant idolatry. Even if it's something good like your family, which is what it was for most people. Most people put their family as their highest priority. So here's this, this disconnect that we see. The majority, 51% of Christians, evangelical Christians, which is what we would be classified as, place something other than God as their highest priority. So how do we do this? What, what is the issue? We, we have to make sure that God is our highest priority. But what I mean by that does not mean just simply putting God at number one on a list. Making God our highest priority makes a difference with how we use our time, how we use and, and, and live in our life. You can say something's your highest priority, but in actuality, it's not. If someone said their family was their highest priority, but they're constantly at work, they're constantly skipping out on their family to go hang out with their friends or play golf or do whatever it is, is their family their highest priority? No. Other things are. And so if we say that God is our highest priority, how does that look in our lives? And, and the problem that we have is that Christians are very bad at times about compartmentalizing our lives making our life be divided into segments that we live within. We've got our Christian life, our church life, we've got our work life, and we've got our family life, and we keep those things in nice separate boxes, and they don't really interact that much, and that's a major problem. And I believe that leads to what our, our major problem is in life. When we separate God from the other things that we do, we might say he's our highest priority, but what does your life look like when you go to work on Monday? What does your life look like between Sunday to Sunday. Because if we're compartmentalizing and we have a God box and a family box and a work box, the problem, or a cup, let's use that example, a, a, a God cup that we fill up and, and a family cup that we fill up and, and a work cup that we fill up, what happens when your God cup gets empty? You come to church on Sunday, you get filled up a little bit. 
Maybe you do, maybe you're a faithful Christian and you do a morning Bible study every single day. You get filled up just a little bit. What happens when it's Tuesday, you had a rough Monday and it's empty? Do you want you to stop acting like as much? A Christian. What happens when temptation comes and you're already running on empty spiritually? The problem in this situation is that oftentimes Christians aren't being filled up enough, even though they might say that God is their first priority. Maybe it's the first thing they do in the morning, but they're not filling up enough. Maybe their cup is too small and it, it, it empties out really quickly. Maybe their cup has a hole in it and it empties out as soon as it's poured into. Whatever the spiritual problems may be, if you're compartmentalizing your life, your cup's going to run out. I think this is why so many believers struggle with what we might call a double life. where if Because if, here's the reality. If someone saw each of us at our worst moment only and then saw us at church they would probably walk in and be like, oh, that person's here, and walk right back out. I'm talking about our worst moment. But the reality is there are many people in many times where the way that our life looks outside of church doesn't line up with what we talk about and proclaim in church. This double life. It's the reason that so many Christians are called hypocrites, because too often we are. And I'm not talking about the biblical kind of hypocrisy that we claim, because the gospel makes you claim to be a hypocrite, that I'm a sinner that has been saved by grace and now I'm called a saint. I'm not a saint because of my own doing. I'm a sinner by my own doing, but God has redeemed me and saved me. In in many ways, you're a hypocrite because you're claiming something that's not yours by your own works. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the hypocrisy of going to church on Sunday morning and praising God and like what James talked about last week and then going to lunch the very next hour and being rude to a server. That's the hypocrisy that I'm talking about. The things that shouldn't exist in the life of a believer. The kind of hypocrisy that drives people from the church. The kind that like a a previous church that I served at, when a person came and they visited the church, and I said, why does this person look so familiar? And then I remembered that this person was a coach that when I was umpiring Little League softball, cussed me out. It's like, oh, that surprises me. How many times have we, through our conduct, because we've compartmentalized our life, not looked like Christ to the world? In reality, it's not just that you have a God box or a God cup, and the the answer is just to make that bigger. Just because it's the biggest cup doesn't mean it's your highest priority. If we look at what the Scriptures have talked about, our relationship with God should be our identity and should transform the way we interact with the world, not just be another thing that we do. What I mean by this, okay, is that if a person, if a man gets married to his wife, that changes fundamentally the way that he should interact with all the other women in the world. You are no longer a man that is single that can interact with and find a partner. It's not just that if you don't feel loved enough one day, you don't go out and find a new wife. That's not how it works. You have become married. Your identity, your status has changed. And so the way you interact with the world changes. That doesn't mean that you hide yourself away and you never see another person, but it changes the way you interact. In the same way, our relationship with Christ should transform the way we interact with everything else in the world. Galatians 2.20 again. I want to go back to it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Everything we do should come from our faith in God. This is what I want you to understand. This doesn't mean that you come to church, you fill up, you read your Bible, you pray, and you just try to do more of that to be a better Christian. You have to understand who you are in Christ, that you are no longer the same person that you were. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ, and it's no longer you who lives. You were crucified with Christ. You have been raised to new life to live by faith in the Son of God. And so that means that everything you did, everything you were in this world, largely remains the same. Were you married when you got saved? You're still married. Were you working somewhere? As long as it can be glorifying to God, you still work there. But the way you do it's different. Your identity is what informs and transforms the way that you live. So you're no longer a person that works at X company and does this. You are a Christian who works at this company. And so the way that you work there should change. The way that you live your life should change because it's not about, well, I made sure I got my, my God stuff in and it's still my highest. No, it's who you are as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And it transforms all that you do. This means that what you do does not make you a better Christian. It's understanding who you are in Christ. Now, I want to make this clear. This does not mean that doing Christian things aren't important because people will take that and they'll abuse it. Well, it's who I am in Christ, so then church does not matter. It's who I am in Christ, so then Bible study does not matter. I'm not saying that understanding who you are will make you do more Christian things. But you don't get them backwards. Doing more Christian things doesn't make you more like Christ. Doesn't make you, it's figuring out who you are first. And then from that, it makes you want to do these things. Understanding, I love my wife, and so I want to spend time with her. And and, and to be fair, sometimes going to church helps you realize more of who you are in Christ. Hopefully that maybe this sermon is helping you figure out, oh, that's what I need to do live my life because of who I am, not just doing things. In the same way that spending time with your wife might make you realize how much you love her. It's about understanding who you are, and then when you understand who you are, it makes you want to spend time with God. It makes you want to be a part of the church. It makes you want to serve in the church. It makes you want to spend time in God's Word. But if you don't understand that, if you separate it out from everything else you do, you're going to run into problems. Because then you go to work and you have your work friends, you have your your friends you do your hobbies with, you have your church friends, and they're all separate. You're going to start to look like those people when you go there. You always look like Christ in everything that you do. So that's the first thing. We have to understand who we are in Christ and allow that to inform and change everything that we do. And so the, the next thing is we look at the next things that come next. Okay? Everything else in our life, everything, everything we are, everything we do comes from that place of knowing who we are in Christ, and then we interact with it. So the first category I want to touch on in this as Christians that we should be seeking to rid ourselves from is sin. Part of what we have to understand is that as we come to Christ, part of our identity is that we're a sinner. When a lost person comes to Christ, the, the only identity they need to know is that they're a sinner that they are lost, they are separated from God because of their sin. And in the Christian's life, because we know God, this is not a thing we should be doing anymore. 
We should be making war against our sin, putting it to death in our life. It's a thing we do, but it's an important thing that we do because of our identity in Christ. I want you to understand that the Bible is very clear about how harshly we should be going against our sin. It should be a regular and frequent occurrence that we're ridding ourselves from, fleeing from, so that we can pursue God. In a passage that's talking about running our race with endurance in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. So what it's saying is, it should be a struggle. This doesn't mean, oh man, I did that again. What level of effort and pursuit are you putting into your battle against sin? Are you running to the Father? In Sunday school this morning, we talked about the full armor of God. Are you taking that up, putting it on, battling against the powers that come against you? It's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. That the enemy prowling like one looking for someone to devour. Are you battling against your sin in your life? Because you should be. So that's the bad thing that's always there that we have to make sure we're fighting against as a believer. But next we see these two categories I'll call our responsibilities and our activities. And this is where if you're, you're graduating or whatever stage of life you're in, these are the things that every person has that you have to make sure you figure out how those serve and fit into your identity as a Christian, as a believer. You have responsibilities, things like your marriage, right? Family was the top priority for many people. Family should be one of your top priorities as a believer, but it serves from and functions from your identity in Christ and who you are in God. Your family, marriage, parenting, and your work, the things you have to do to contribute to society, to build a better word, world, but also to provide for and take care of your family. So we have our responsibilities. Anything you need to do because of who God has made you to be and the things he has trusted you with and entrusted you with. We also have our activities, the things that we do that are not necessarily overtly necessary. You've got things like play, the things you do for fun, your hobbies, the ways that you unwind. These are things that exist in our lives but maybe are not on the same level as our responsibilities that we've been given. Now, I want to I make something clear here. The point of this sermon is not to tell you to become a hyperproductive person that never takes a break. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And so as people, he has designed us to be people that step away from our work, step away from things to recharge. Now, what are you recharging with is a big question. You should first and foremost be being filled up by your relationship, your identity with who God is, resting in him. But this does not mean that I, I want you to work 80 hours a week and to, to, to do that. That's not what I'm talking about, to be a hyperproductive person. Being productive doesn't mean doing more. It means doing the right things in the right way. That's what it means to be productive as a Christian. So we should rest in the right way. We should have things we enjoy that fill us up. We should have friendships, relationships, spending time rejoicing with our family, not just simply trying to invest and build them up and to do these things. So what does this look like? We have to make sure that we keep God central in our lives, and then from that, we take care of our responsibilities. You should be, as a Christian, the best worker at your place of employment. You should work hard, the best of your ability, because it glorifies and honors God. 
Now, we have to be realistic here. There are times, there are some things that are work or responsibilities that cross into sin. There are some industries that exist a Christian should not be a part of. We have to recognize that. Make sure that you evaluate that in your life. But if whatever you are in is a place that fits with being a Christian, you work hard to the best of your ability, but you don't allow that to take away from your other responsibilities. You make sure that you're a good spouse. You make sure that you're a good parent. You make sure that you're a faithful church member. The responsibilities of what you do as a Christian fall in here as well. And then we see our activities, the things we do for fun. And the problem is, is that they both exist, and they both should exist, but we have to make sure they stay in their right place. They have to work together in a way that glorifies God. I look back through my life, and it shocks me how much time that I spent doing things that no longer have any impact on my life that are gone now. It is not wrong for a child to grow up playing a sport. They can learn a lot of things through it. I spent a lot of time playing and practicing sports. You know how many of those I play anymore? Outside of the every once in a while recreationally? Not a lot. Do you know what I'm still doing? Having, having responsibilities to take care of, a family to love and to care for, and my relationship with God. And, and so what I want us to understand is that the, the things that we do, our activities, cannot become a place where they take away from our responsibilities. They definitely cannot take away from our relationship with God. So I look at things like baseball. I can, I can probably hardly throw a ball anymore because of what it did to my shoulder and my arm but I spent a lot of time on it. The same thing with football and these things in my life. Here, here's what I'll tell you. Video games aren't bad, depending on what it is. But when they consume you and they take away from what you're doing, it becomes a problem. I spent way too much time playing video games when I was younger. Golfing, fishing. Here, here's the thing. It's easy to look at what the next generation does and not look at what we do. You know how many people miss church regularly to go golfing or to go fishing? A lot of people, I'm saying regularly, I'm not talking about every once in a while, people who regularly do these things or to ne neglect their family or other responsibilities, anything you do or like to do can be put into this place. In the same way that any responsibility can become something that it shouldn't be. If you neglect your family because you're at work, that's a problem. If you neglect your work because you're doing a hobby, that's a problem. Anything that becomes bigger than it should be in your life is a problem. So how are you spending your time. Because these things, when they take place in our life, they cross from being something you do to something that is sin. It becomes an idol in your life. And I'll tell you one thing that, that uh, the vast majority of adults, these things suck so much time. I, I, I was trying to do a little bit of research on it. I think it says almost seven hours of day that people spend on screens. And I couldn't figure out, are you saying with work, because that seems low, because a lot of work is on screens. But then if it's not with work, that is astronomical that the amount of time spent on screens is seven hours a day. And that the numbers it was given was how much time was spent on video games or, or watching TV or these types of things. And for young people, it's even higher. Let me tell you, these things are great. I can call my mom when we leave church. My kids can see her. We live two hours away. That's great. I can post a picture. My grandparents who live two hours away can see the kids. That's great. You can ask somebody, call somebody when you need help. That's great. You can figure out where you're going. 
Jada would be lost if she didn't have a GPS. <laughs> and I would be too many times now. How they're great things. But when they become something they shouldn't be, time-wise and what you do with it, it becomes sinful. And so what I want to challenge you to do this morning is to check your schedule. When you look back at the last week or an average week or an average month of your life, what are you doing on a daily basis? How are you taking that time you've been entrusted to? Think about that. The people, they were given these talents. Here's five talents. What did he do? He went and traded with it and he brought back five more talents. I produced something from what you gave me. You entrusted me with something, and I gave you back what you expected. The same with the two. Took the two, invested in something, and brought back more. What did the person with one do? Buried it in the ground. Brought back only what he was given. So this is the idea of stewardship. When you check your schedule, this 24-hour block you've been giving, how are you spending it? How are you using your time that you've been blessed with? Now, here's the deal. From the time you're born to the time you go to be home with the Lord, it's going to change. A child is not doing the same things an adult is doing, and a working adult's not doing the same things a retired adult's doing. But everything you do, if you profess to be a Christian, should be working from this knowledge of God has saved me, and that is who I am as a believer. And so everything I do is going to glorify Him. And so that means that a lot of the things you do aren't necessarily going to be overtly Christian, but there should be a lot of things that are. Right? One of the complaints that people have is, how have you been? Have you ever had this question, conversation? Hey, how's it been going? I've been busy. What are you busy with? Is it things that matter? Because if it's not, you shouldn't be busy with it. You know how many things, it's, it's been kind of a fun thing that Jada and I do from time to time, is we go through our house and realize just how many things we don't use at all that we can just kind of throw away or give away. And you know what? We might get rid of a truckload of stuff, and guess what? We didn't miss any of it. You know how many times and how much time we spend on things that if they were gone, I don't think you'd miss any of it. Honestly, some of the things your life would be better. If you didn't ever have your phone for a month, for some people that'd be really hard. But do you think your life would be better or worse at the end of the day? I'm saying a smartphone, one that's connected to the internet. It's nice to be able to call people. But so when you think of your life, how are you spending your time? What does your schedule look like? Because Matthew 6.21, I'll remind you, this says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I would assert to you today that what you spend your time doing, what you spend your time engaged with, reveals where your heart is. If you spend all your time doing something other than seeking to be a follower of Christ. Now, when I say that, you got to go to work. It doesn't mean that you're going to go from praying five minutes a day and working eight hours a day to praying eight hours a day and working five minutes a day. I'm not proposing that. But what does the Bible say about how we should pray? Pray constantly. It means you become a person that as you go to work, you are attuned with what God wants you to do. You are praying as you're there. It doesn't mean you're bowed down on your knees praying, but you're praying as you go. I want you to look at your schedule. Look at your life. Does it reflect a person that is seeking, that, that, that says, I have been purchased by the blood of Christ, and this life I live, I no longer live for myself, but I live for the Son of God, or live through Jesus Christ?
Does your life reflect that? And if it doesn't, if there's places you look at and you say, man, I waste a lot of time doing this thing that does not have any impact on, on eternity, on what God calls me to do. I spend too much time on my phone. I, I spend too much time in recreational things when I could be doing something that's better for others or for the kingdom of God. I spend too much time focused on, I've made these things an idol in my life. You've got to look at your life. Only you can answer that question. And today I would challenge you to respond to it. How can you make the weeks and the months and the years that come in your life that God has entrusted you with better in how you serve Him and how you live for Him than the ones that come before? And it starts with this. If you don't know Christ this morning, the the greatest thing you can do, the, the best use of your time today is to respond to Him. Because every day that you've been given is His grace that that you're still able to make that decision. To turn to Him. To repent and believe in what Jesus has done. To acknowledge your sin. To believe in what Jesus has done for you. And to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And I would challenge you to do that today. But if you're a believer here, and, and if you look at your life, if an outsider looked at your life, and aside from the times you go to church, they can't tell you're a Christian, that's a problem too. If you go to church, you're regularly involved, and you don't give anything it's all taking that's a problem too how can you serve how can you make the months and the years that come better than the ones that have come to today wherever god is calling you to do whatever god's calling you to move whether it's salvation whether it's in following in obedience and baptism whether it's joining a church whether it's something personal specific to your life i would challenge you to do that today let's go to the lord in prayer Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this time that we can come together, Lord. And I pray that we would look at the time that you've entrusted us with. That whatever we do, we would do for your glory. Whatever we are engaged with would be honoring to you. And God, that we would regularly look at our life, we would look at our schedule, and we would make sure it is one that points people to you, that glorifies you, that honors you, and that when we run this race, we run it with endurance, and that when we when we're faced with our master, you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. That we wouldn't be ashamed of how we mismanage what you've given us. That we wouldn't bury it in the ground and abuse it. But would take what you've given us and put it to good work for your glory. God, I pray that if anyone does not know you this morning, that today would be the day they would respond. They would not let another moment pass without turning to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.